Hello, it is 21st of January 2017, and this is episode 14 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary. We're focused on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Uh, I know I said the same thing last week, but it's been pretty quiet again. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to this week's Rebel episode, but that's not till tonight. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go into detail as to why that is, but in case people haven't been catching up with the latest episodes. But I'm um, really looking forward to it because one of my favourite characters is getting a bit of a spotlight. So, um, Doesn't it centre around Sabine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't watch Rebels, but I'm familiar enough to know the character names and like I'd seen like buzz about the episode online. So um, fingers crossed it's really good. <laughs> yeah, she's my favourite character and um in the the earlier seasons I felt like she wasn't given as much attention as she could have been. So yes. um yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully it's a good one. Yeah, no awesome. What about you? Uh yeah, no, it's been so quiet. Like even in terms of news, we basically were able to scrounge together two things. And it's just such a um, shift from last week because last week it was like, whoa, 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 stop the news, stop the news, please, <laughs> too much. <laughs> you need to calm down because there were like eight different news items and it was just getting ridiculous because it was time to record and it's like, oh, there's another one, woo. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, these last few weeks have been kind of a convergence of Rogue One and Episode Eight stuff. Yes. Like tiny little things for Episode Eight, not not anything huge, but... Mm. Now Rogue One's starting to wind down, at least probably until the Blu-ray comes out. So, Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think I mentioned before we started recording that I kind of wish that we could just do the Reddit news segment and treat all the crazy stuff that gets posted on Reddit as real life. <laughs> because the yeah. news is somewhat lacking this week in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, um, you see some wild stuff on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So people are saying, making these heady promises, like we will get a um, episode eight trailer at Super Bowl, and the acronym will be TGD. And it's like, oh, I wish this was true. This is true so much. You know, like how in Peter Pan, like they get the children audience to go, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I wonder if I can make Reddit rumours become true through the sheer power of my belief. Yeah. I think the answer is no, um, but I, I'm an optimist when it comes to things like that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with hoping. Um, <laughs> That's I try not to is about. <laughs> exactly. Um, I try not to let myself get too attached to anything like that because inevitably you'll get disappointed. But it's it's fun to read all that stuff anyway, because if, if nothing else, it shows people's excitement. Yes, definitely. You know, if you're making up a rumour about how a trailer will be coming soon, like that means that you really want to see a trailer too and you're just hoping that it will work out. Yeah, I think you could do like an interesting psychological study like of Reddit posts like about stars and like consider their implications for like the mindset of fandom in general. Like, right. And in particular how people respond to these things because they literally act like thirsty people in a desert who haven't seen <laughs> rain for two months. Yeah. It's interesting the psychology behind people who create fake spoilers. It's like, you know, this isn't true. Are you? I guess they're just messing with people. Yeah, it's a bit of amusement. But my favourite from the vaults is still um, Ray. You are my father. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine if that was actually in the film. <laughs> I think it would be delivered in a really heavy, dramatic tone, but then. Like, there'd be a pause for five seconds and everyone would burst out laughing because it'd be so ridiculous. 
I'd love to know how Luke would work out before Ray that she was reincarnated Anakin. Like, how, how would he find that out? <laughs> um, <laughs> through the sheer power of his wisdom, one can only oh, yes. guess. Um, I actually like to think of like combining that scenario with the end of the like how it should have ended episode on Force Awakens, where it basically ends with like a long dramatic pause, and then Luke says, "Wow, you're hot." <laughs> <laughs> like imagine the like utter awkwardness if she were his reincarnated dad. It was, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, yeah, incest runs in the family. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, this took a weird turn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, to get back to business. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's reviewed us recently on iTunes and given us ratings. We really appreciate it, and it's so wonderful to see your thoughts on the podcast. And there's a particularly great review from Dragon Priestess, I think, is that right? Yeah. I'm really long and detailed, and it was just so lovely. We really appreciate that you took all that time to write down your thoughts about what the podcast means to you. So, yeah, we're happy to serve. <laughs> yeah, it's really great to see what people think of the show. I made a Tumblr post a few weeks ago of all the, the latest ones that have been coming out, but we've had even more since then. Mm. And just thank you to everyone who takes the time to leave one, because it's just lovely to hear what you think. Yeah, then no, we're so grateful. So thank you very much, everyone. Um, and as always, we will have questions at the end. And if you have a question for us, you can email at scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, I think we're ready to move on to news. So as I mentioned, there isn't a great deal to talk about. <laughs> um, but I think the things we have to talk about are quite interesting in their own way. So the first story is that Laura Dern has praised Carrie Fisher and touched upon her involvement in episode eight. Laura Dern's, that is, rather than Carrie's. Um, right, and the story goes, The actress opened up about Fisher to Entertainment Tonight's Nichelle Turner at Elle's Women in Television event at the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles on Saturday, saying the Star Wars series was a part of Fisher in her heart and her soul. I don't know any of us who didn't play Princess Leia for ha- a Halloween or in our life, said Dern, who recalled watching the first Star Wars film in 1977 as a young girl at Hollywood's Cinerama Dome. What an incredible gift to witness that whole legacy. We put a lot of focus currently on what it is to be a female icon, what it is to use your voice, what it is to be comfortable in your own skin, she reflected. She has always been one of the most extraordinary beacons, an original screen icon. Dunn joined the episode 8 cast early last year, and while she couldn't reveal any character or plot details, she said she's having the time of my life as a franchise newbie. So, what did you make these remarks, Kirsty? Oh, it's just really great to hear her talking about Carrie and what she meant to her and what the role of Leia meant to her as well. Yeah. No, I really liked that, and I really like Laura Dunn as well just as an actress i think she's really great i've seen her in a lot of david lynch's films yes i'm a big david lynch fan oh same (laughs) yeah i I, i've just learned that about you (laughs) um uh yeah so i really really like her i think she's so talented um have you seen inland empire uh no i haven't that is basically one big laura dern showcase okay it's probably the weirdest of all the david lynch films (laughs) and that one actually yeah and i'm sure that you know that saying a lot because David Lynch is a fundamentally weird man who makes very weird things. But yes, Land Empire is like on another level of strange. Um, but Laura Downton Dern is great in it. She's just so so talented. So I'm really excited to see what she can bring to Star Wars. Yeah, I was thinking of 
just like the little standard ones, like blue blue velvet and that. But yeah, no, she's great in blue velvet too. Yeah, yeah, I'm just really excited to learn more about her role as well. Like, there's just been absolutely nothing, probably even less than we've had with um, Kelly Marie Tran's character. Yes. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping that I mean, she's not really hinting at anything like that here, but I would hope that she does share um, screen time with Leia. Yes. Because. I feel like The Force Awakens and even Rogue One didn't do a fantastic job of um, developing relationships between female characters. Yeah. No, I think that's something we drew attention to in our Women in Star Wars episode, that Star Wars has this great tradition of female characters. It's just it can seems unable of giving them female foils to work off. And that's such a waste because it's so important to have these like female relationships on the screen. Mm. And yeah, I'd love to see... Like, if it's true that Laura Dern is, like, in a vaguely antagonistic relationship with Leia, which is what some rumours are suggesting, I'd love to see those two actresses, like, like firing off at each other like that. It would be a great dynamic, I think. Yeah. And I was also thinking how fun it must be to play a character who has pink hair, because that's one of the few things <laughs> we've heard about Laura Dunn's character, that she has bright pink hair. <laughs> yeah, I saw people making like Hunger Games comparisons for that. We don't know how on the nose that those will be, but mm. I, I just like the idea of there being like a more prequels element to it. Yeah, Because the same. prequels were all about style and that kind of opulence from... The capital, I suppose. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. Yeah. So if if the the rumors are correct, that would be a pretty cool mm. kind yeah. of contrast with the resistance. So. Yeah. No. Obviously. Yeah. Like the resistance are fine, but they're like a bit dour. And the in Force Awakens, at least, they're all like it's all pretty black and white. You know, the resistance they're blatantly the good guys, and there's not much like grey area to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just like to see more color and more like standout personalities. Yeah. And definitely. I definitely think Laura Dern could offer that. So fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. Um, right. And then the next and final story is about Rogue One. And it's basically that we've had some new details about the Rogue One reshoots. Uh, these obviously quite infamous <laughs> by this stage. They were first reported, like, I think, around June last year. Um, and yeah, like only now the film is coming out do we really get a feel for exactly what was changed and we can like begin to piece together what the film was originally so we're just going to look at a few specific things that we know changed as a result of the reshoots um and the first is that the climactic fader action scene in rogue one was a reshoot um and this is like i'm sure everyone listening to this has seen rogue one now but on the off chance you haven't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> skip ahead 15 minutes just in case so there i've cleaned my conscience um right and we have this according to editor john gilroy the badass action scene with vader was one of the key late tweaks arising from the film's infamous reshoots what was added and it was a fantastic ad was the vader action scene with him boarding the ship and dispatching all those rebel soldiers he tells you who movies that was something conceptualized a little later. <laughs> I love how they add that at the end, a little later, like as if they're still trying to downplay all this stuff. It's like, yeah. guys, we know there were big reshoots. Just stop. Just stop. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really interesting to me that this as well, like, because that's one of the scenes that everyone came away talking about. Yes. You know, like, I wonder how much it would have changed the film just to not have that in there. 
that kind of connects the dots with Rogue One and A New Hope. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I love that scene. Like, of all the scenes in Rogue One, that's easily the most vivid. It's the one that stands out the most. But at the same time, I can kind of get why some people are critical towards it. Because it kind of is like a cheap way to get your audience pumped up and excited. Because it's Vader for a start and they all and they know everyone loves Vader automatically. Yeah. And e- on top of that it's Vader being a complete badass with a lightsaber and <laughs> moving people around telekinetically and doing all these crazy elaborate shit that we've never really seen Vader do before, at least to that extent. So that on principle was gonna get people really, really hyped. But at the same time it does feel so, so disconnected from what's just come before. It's like it's an epilogue. So the main story has finished. It finished with Jin and Cassian on the beach embracing. But now it's like, okay, guys, we're going to give you what you really, really, really want. Vader tearing shit up. Yeah, because Vader's barely connected to the rest of the narrative. Like he has a scene with Krennic and it's even that is like, did Krennic have to go and tattletale <laughs> on, on Tarkin to, <laughs> to Vader? Who... Yes. It, and if you think about how Vader is in A New Hope, he's not even particularly connected to all that stuff. Mm. Like, even when Credit goes to the castle, Vader's essentially like, oh, I don't care about the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is nothing to do with me. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tell the Emperor on your behalf, you know. <laughs> so it's all just a bit like, why is he there? Yeah, we know why he's there, but it's out of universe reasons, I think. I hate to sound cynical, but it just is. It's so blatantly is. <laughs> Yeah, after I saw it at my sister's, they were like, oh, wow, I have to see it again. I have to see that Vader scene again. Mm. You know? So I think that's a big reason why people might have gone to see it again. Yeah. like And, and again, it's not about taking away from anyone's enjoyment. It's just, like, for me, learning that this was a reshoot, that does, like, reinforce how cynical that scene is, just as a concept. It's like, oh, God, I'm not, we're not sure there's enough here that's going to please people. We're not sure there's enough here that's really going to make people excited to see a Star Wars movie. So let's say I'll add in this stone-cold badass moment that we know people will love. Like, And then that's like a good way to leave people thinking positively about this film. Like, leave it on a yeah. high. Yeah, especially because, like, was it last week or the week before we were talking about when there will be a truly standalone Star Wars film, as in no characters from the original trilogy? Mm. Um and it's almost like they didn't quite have enough confidence in the film. Yes. You know, like, oh, can we really do the standalone? Are these new characters enough? Or do we have to bring back Vader? Yeah. And obviously they decided they needed to. And it's been hugely successful. Yeah. I just wonder what that's going to mean for films going forward. Mm. I, I definitely think it's a bit of a crutch. Like, it absolutely is. Because then, like you say, they're not confident enough in their own creations. The original characters like Jane and Cassian and so on in order to rely on them to sell the story and to make it compelling to people. Mm-hmm. So that's why they pump up the original elements in such a big way, like Vader. But I am optimistic that they are going to get better with that and they are going to like move things forward in new and exciting ways. Because that's a big part of why we love Force Awakens, isn't it? The things that work best about Force Awakens are the new parts, the new characters, the new dynamics. Well... That's a big reason why we like it. I'm not sure if that's true for everyone. Yeah. Because, you know, they have so many different audiences to please. Yes, definitely. Like, I was um, listening to a podcast, I think Star Wars Underworld, and it was actually quite sweet. 
they have these three young hosts on that show, all male. And basically they all went off, all three of them, and they interviewed their parents about their responses to Rogue Aww. One. <laughs> I know. It was really sweet. <laughs> um, and yeah, but while well, it was sweet just on principle, because it's these guys like interrogating their parents about stars and the parents like go along with it very politely but they also seem faintly bemused to an extent um and yeah it's just interesting because these people they're clearly like completely general audience Mm. and i think across the board they all pretty much said they preferred force awakens to rogue one and like a big strand of why that was was because they liked the returning characters they liked having han solo they liked having princess leia back and those kinds of things. So I think, like you say, that draws attention to the fact that while we loved Force Awakens for what was new about it, there is like a whole other sector of the audience, especially like older audiences who probably grew up, like were children when A New Hope came out. Like for them, it probably is the nostalgic elements that are most appealing to them. So yeah, it's going to be a tricky balancing act to keep those audiences happy while still like moving in new directions and avoiding like the crutch of nostalgia. Yeah. It would be really interesting to see how they handle Luke and eight. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, I can't wait to see what Ryan's done there. Yeah. Like everything I've heard about eight makes it seem fresh and exciting. So fingers crossed that'll be the case. Um, Right. And then the other like little detail about what changed for the reshoots is about K2SO's original death scene. And basically a clip came out from behind the scenes by Yahoo and it gave a different presentation of how that character met his end. So I will read. In the theatrical cut of Rogue One, Imperial-turned-rebel droid K2SO dies in a blaze of glory trying to protect Jin Erso and Cassian Andor as they try to steal the Death Star plans in the vault. At the conclusion of the film, after transmitting the Death Star plans off-planet, Cassian and Jin embrace as they await certain death. This is not how the film originally ended. The new ABC footage shows Alan Tudyk in his K2SO performance capture suit going down in a blaze of glory next to what appears to be an unmoving Cassian Andor. They are in front of an imperial door on the dirty beach and not outside the vault room in the movie. So they likely both met their end at the conclusion of that epic run through the ATACTs, with Jin being the lone survivor to make it up to the tower to transmit the plans. So, what did you make of that, Kirsty? Uh, well, I was telling you before, I haven't actually watched this footage, mm. and I, I'm not sure I want to. Like, this might—it's probably just me being weird. I know it is, but um, I—I I don't like the idea that there are all these endless alternate scenes out there yeah um, i kind of just want to understand the film in terms of what we were given in the end yeah no definitely um, that makes we, sense. we were talking about this interview that gareth edwards gave recently i can't remember where it was but he was talking about how they would just shoot um random stuff every day for like an hour was, yes is that right yeah something like that yeah there was this weird quote from him about like how you go to the supermarket and you're not sure what you want to buy, so you just get all sorts of different things and see what works out. <laughs> it seemed like the strangest approach to filmmaking. Obviously, I am not a filmmaker, so you know this yes. is just me being a lay lay person pretending to be an expert. I don't know, mm. but it just it kind of cemented to me that they didn't have the clearest vision of what they wanted out of the story. Mm. The, the idea of just shooting 
lots and lots of different versions of scenes like drastically different versions it's not even like what jj abrams was saying with the force awakens where for example they would have like kylo ren let ray fall to the floor before picking her up as opposed to catching her as she's falling like that kind of thing oh did that actually happen yeah they weren't sure i, I think in the novelization she falls to the floor and then he picks her up <laughs> oh yeah no you're right that does happen it's really funny because i'm sorry for the slight tangent but in the novelization one of my favorite moments is alan dean foster just for like two paragraphs switches to the perspective of a random stormtrooper who like oh, yes. watches as like ray like crumples to the ground and then a Presumably, there's this really awkward moment where there's just the stormtroopers looking on and Kylo being like, uh, uh, uh. And then he picks her up and it's like, okay, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. Yeah, so there's all sorts of tiny things like that. Like, um, he also was supposed to take off her restraints in the interrogation scene, like that kind of thing, where it's like little directorial decisions that would slightly change how the scene felt or what mm. they were trying to say with the characters, but nothing like hugely plot altering. Mm. Whereas Rogue One, I think Ben Mendelsohn said as well, like there's all sorts of different scenes out there and like it's just kind of like this choose your own adventure thing where they almost made the film in the editing room. Yeah, I definitely think things like the different death scene, like I- I'm pretty sure that is not Gareth Edwards who shot like the death scenes that you see in the original final cut of Rogue One. I'm pretty sure that's probably Tony Gilroy stuff. So I think what we see in the behind the scenes is probably how those characters met their end in Gareth Edwards' original version. And then after they saw like the first cut that Gareth assembled and they were like, oh no, we need to change things. Then they went back to the script and they presumably completely altered the third act because it does just seem to be totally different from everything we're hearing. And then they refilmed what they needed to in order to tell that story instead of the story that Gareth was trying to tell when he originally shot the film. But yeah, yeah, it is obviously not the best approach to filming. (laughs) We might never get it, but I would love to know what Gareth Edwards really thinks about the final version of Rogue One. Mm. I, I do find, again, I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist or too much of a cynic, but I really do get the impression that is not really a Gareth Edwards film. Right. That they very much kept him on like as a prominent presence in the publicity. Like he's been there all the way. He's been at the press junkets. He's been at the premieres. He's been publicly very supportive and like behaving as if it's his film. But I think we know based on the reports we've been getting that it's not really his vision anymore. It's certainly not what he originally set out to film. It's clearly changed wildly. Um, but yeah, I guess the question is how comfortable he is with that and like what he feels about the whole process. Because like however much he says, oh yeah, it was good to go back again and to fix the things that were wrong is kind of like spending ages and ages and ages crafting this like essay, like a 10,000 word essay and then handing it into the teacher for marking and they give it back to you in like two thirds that are crossed out with like, do it again. Right. <laughs> on it. And it must be that kind of feeling. This idea of it being wrong, we'll never know because we won't ever see the other version. Yes. Because, because it sounds like they had multiple versions of lots of different things going on. Mm. Um, so I just, I'd love to get like that actual director's cut, you know, mm. what was he trying to say with this story? I do wonder um, if, one of the things they changed in the reshoot was to try and create more of an emotional connection with the story, um, an emotional connection to the characters. Yeah. Um, because 
I think like in one of those articles that came out, like the damage control articles, I like to call them, I think from Anthony Bresnikin, like he basically said that a lot of the things that were changing were character moments, like things in cockpits, for example. And while it's obvious that more change than character moments filmed in cockpits, I, I think that probably does get to the essence of what they were changing, which is trying to make the characters more appealing and to give them stronger relationships with each other. Because right. if, as per this behind-the-scenes clip, Cassian dies, leaving Jin to finish the mission alone, then there wouldn't be any of that stuff between them. There wouldn't be that moment in the elevator. There wouldn't be that moment when they're embracing on the beach. And those moments are like critical emotional touchstones for the film. They really like add to our empathy towards those characters. So yeah, I, 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 think I could understand why they would add that. Yeah, I've spoken to some people who said that they feel that those things are tacked on to the end. Like, oh, their dynamics suddenly became like a bit tense with what some people perceive as romance or like mm -hmm. the potential of it. Yeah. Um, and if this is, you know, the result of the research, then those people are correct. Like this really was tacked on because mm -hmm. Disney or whoever decided that they needed that emotional weight. Whereas obviously Cassian was going to die before Jin and it would have all been very different. Mm. Um, so yeah, like that does change how people perceive the characters and what they mean to each other. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. It is. I'd love to see the original cuts of Rogue One that people apparently thought needed changing so dramatically. Um, but I, that will never happen. I yeah. will not ever come to light. Maybe in like a hundred years, as part of like the Star Wars Legacy Box Set all 200 films <laughs> shared yeah, are we gonna on get... digital download for the first time yeah what kind of deleted scenes are we going to get on the blu-ray if any because are they, <laughs> they going to be things that they decided wanted they wanted to take out of gareth edwards version or i don't That's know a very good question i i doubt they'd include anything that would make it obvious that they filmed reshoot stuff that directly contradicted elements of the original version because they wouldn't want to like make the extent of the changes that blatantly obvious i don't think right i don't think there's anything in the force awakens deleted scenes that contradicts what's in the actual story yeah it's all just like extra stuff that you can consider canon if you want it doesn't you know like stuff like kylo ren on the millennium falcon mm. it adds a little bit more depth to the character in his relationship to Han Solo, but it's not like it contradicts anything you see on screen. Yeah. No, all the Force Awakens deleted scenes are very, very minor, and they really don't add that much. They're the kind of deleted scenes where you watch them and you're like, I understand why you deleted this. Mm. <laughs> like, not to be mean, I love the Kylo on the Falcon scene, for example, but, like, I do think it probably would have interrupted the flow of the movie, considering where it would have had to have gone. Maybe. I think that's the scene that you wanted in the movie. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, again, like you say, it would depend how it all fl like flowed together. Because mm. maybe it would interrupt something else and it would just seem a bit jarring. But um, I am. I think we'll get this eventually, so I'm not like cut up about it. But I hope that there is a bit more of a an acknowledgement of what Han Solo meant to Kylo Ren because. It was obvious to me from the story that he was like conflicted, and when he said he means nothing to me, that's not you know that's not true yes. he's in denial but i don't think that was understood by lots of other people in the audience yeah so i don't know i'm getting majorly off topic here sorry <laughs> no, don't worry it's fine i was um aiding and abetting you by asking <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah it, so it will it will be interesting to see if 
if they do provide us with stuff like um things like ha having this footage come out of an, a different version of the scene and um the gareth edwards interview i was talking about it's almost like the pr they're trying to make it seem like a strength that they were shooting in all these endless ways you know yeah. which is very different from when they were trying to really downplay the reshoots <laughs> yes it's almost like they're like oh this is a better way to make a film because you never know what you're going to end up with and it's exciting and there are endless possibilities um yeah. to me it just seems a bit disorganized and like lacking a, a central vision i know yeah. things can change during the storytelling process but it's yeah. probably a fine line yeah no i totally get it i think that's why i'm so excited for ryan because he does seem to have such a solid and definite vision like of what he wants styles to be like i'm sorry to keep on turning this into the ryan johnson loving show but i really do like ryan johnson <laughs> and just like the things i've heard like about him like writing this detailed like notebook with lore and mythology and stuff that that kind of makes me excited um so yeah i would have preferred that kind of approach where like he went in with like a very solid idea of what he wanted and got that rather than being like, oh yeah, let's just film it in all these different ways. We'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> like, which, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's the best way to make a film. But what do I know? I'm like a total layman talking here. Well, it, so. it might also just be because it was the first Star Wars standalone, you know? Yeah. Like, this was new territory for them. Whereas the saga, it's like, okay, well, we had The Force Awakens, so Ryan had to build on that. So he, he did already have a foundation there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think Gareth Edwards always had a very, very difficult job because Rogue One, as much as anything else, was like a proof of concept type of mm. thing. Um, so, yeah, there was lots of responsibility resting on his shoulders. And I get the impression that he was very, like, malleable. So, whereas some directors probably would have been like, no, stop interfering, back off. Like J.J. Abrams, I'm sure he would have been like that because we've been getting the increasing sense that J.J. Abrams and the Lucasfilm story group <laughs> weren't exactly like linking arms and singing Kumbaya throughout the production of Force Awakens. There seems to have been like a little bit of separation there. Um, and I think J.J. Abrams, he probably knew exactly what he wanted to do with Force Awakens. And while I'm sure he did collaborate, because obviously it's still a Lucasfilm production, I do sense that it was probably more his personal vision than Rogue One was Gareth Edwards' personal vision, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, right, then I think we can move on to our spotlight section, which this time is going to be on Finn. So, obviously, when we start off with Finn, we get introduced to him when he's still a stormtrooper. And he's about to go off on his first ever battle on Jakku. Um, I was wondering, did you read Before the Awakening? Like, which obviously has like a Finn chapter and delves into a bit of his background. Yeah, I did. I've only read it once and it was a long time ago now. Yes, over same. a year. Um, so I'm not big on the, the details. But essentially, it really does show Finn as a highly capable stormtrooper who Phasma knew about and she was impressed with his work. And so it... It almost, in in my opinion, it gives you quite a different impression from the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the big thing is that he has a lot of compassion for his fellow stormtroopers. So you do get him, it's kind of foreshadowing the fact that he's going to leave because that's considered unacceptable in the program. Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. I would kind of wish, and maybe we'll get more of it, but I kind of wish that there there was more to that notion of Phasma feeling betrayed and disappointed. Mm. Yeah. You get very little 
sense of there being any kind of personal relationship between Finn and Phasma in the film itself. Yeah, um, the book kind of really shows that they're, you know, she considered him to have great promise that he was mm-hmm. going to be a future big deal in the First Order. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think in Force Awakens, it really it places more emphasis on Finn like as this real rookie stormtrooper. So this is like his first ever mission and he is horrified by what he sees. He can't do it. So he backs out. And then later on when there's like the lines about him being in sanitation and like the fact that he's often like used as the source of lots of jokes in the film and that kind of thing all creates quite a different vibe from what Before the Awakening does. Because like I say, Before the Awakening establishes Finn as this highly competent super soldier and he's so good in Before the Awakening that he actually tries to help and prop up other stormtroopers as friends who are falling behind and not doing so well. So Nines, who I think is the stormtrooper who dies and like marks Finn's mask with blood in Force Awakens, he is a stormtrooper who's not as competent as Finn, but Finn wants to help him out because he's kind and compassionate. And wait, I thought Nines was the guy who calls him the traitor. You may well be right. <laughs> there's there's two different ones. There's one is the name beginning with S, maybe. Let me find this out. Okay. Bah, 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 bah. Right. But they're all in the same group of stormtroopers. They're like the FN group, right? Yes. No, exactly. They're all like a specific it... group. And you're right. Nines is the stormtrooper who engages Finn, like on Takadana. Yeah. And I wish there'd been more of an element of personal betrayal there because you don't even get the sense that they knew each other. It's just that he recognizes Finn and is angry at him for betraying the First Order. But like yes. if they were in the same group of troopers. Yeah, you know, it really could have had something more personal going on there. Yeah, no, definitely you're right. Because um, in the film itself, it, it does seem kind of like arbitrary. Mm-hmm. You're like, how does he know Finn's the traitor? Like, what is the relationship there? So I have seen some people suggest that that stormtrooper in particular could have been Phasma, because mm-hmm. then that would have built like more of a relationship there and added more stakes. Because you'd have had the sense that Phasma was kind of like a mentor to Finn. And it'd also give that character a chance to be a bit of a badass. Because in the film, she just seems straight up incompetent. So, yeah. So good. But yeah, I think we'll get more of Finn and Phasma's relationship going forward, hopefully. So, yeah. No, fingers crossed. And I just found out, and the stormtrooper who dies is called Slip. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. My Stormy's mixed up. They're not exactly uh, main characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to Finn. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, right, so yeah. Obviously, in the film proper, we're first introduced to Finn on Jakku when he like goes into battle and he's obviously ordered to fire on the villagers and he can't do it, he refuses. And then Kylo Ren notices his refusal and you have this very, very strange moment where like Kylo like gazes at him across the battlefield and it's very enigmatic. You don't quite know what he's thinking. You, all you really know is that Finn is very scared and he does not want to be noticed by this guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I found that a really interesting moment. What kind of impression did you get like, of that? Uh, the first time I watched it, I felt like Finn was having a, per- a panic attack. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. the way he's heaving and he takes off his helmet when he gets back to the base and he's like sweating and yeah. doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. Like there's this real anxiety coming from him that he's like what the hell am I going to do like I've I've realized that my whole life has been building up to who I'm supposed to be I'm this is what I'm supposed to be doing and Mm. I don't want to I know this is wrong 
Yeah. I just can't imagine the level of fear that he's feeling at that that moment. Yeah. I really like the filmmaking in that moment as well because you see like it just in the camera work. Yeah. So it's all done in this like very and like avant-garde almost way that suggests how disorientated he is. Mm-hmm. There's like all these quick cuts and like all this blurriness on the edges. And yeah, it really conveys like how like it's too much for him. He can't take it. Yeah. I I just like I love that Finn is kind of the moral compass in the story. Mm. Like so if I guess if you look at The Force Awakens, all of the different characters kind of embody different elements of the psyche, right? Mm. So you have like Kylo as the shadow and Rey is more like the I don't know, like the the conscious part of the self, I guess. Yeah. Um, before you delve into the unconscious. And Finn is like the clear conscience, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's showing the audience um what's right and what what's wrong. And yeah. that, you know, the right thing can be incredibly difficult to do. And I think JJ talks about this in the commentary, you know, he he really wanted to um give this character to the audience so that they could know that if they're in difficult situations, there's always the option to do something that's right. Yeah. You know, it, it would never be easy, um, but it, it kind of gives people courage to see this character and kind of apply it to their own life. Yeah. I think with um, Finn, there's the suggestion that he has just this innate moral compass. Yeah. Um, like, so he just instinctively knows it's wrong to fire on unarmed villagers. And... Well, I know some people take issue with that because it's like, while he was kidnapped as a baby, he was raised by the First Order, like, and presumably indoctrinated by them. So his moral compass should be informed by what they told him. But as you say, it seems to be the suggestion that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you've been taught, there is still a choice. So it's not like you're completely robbed of self-determination like because of your childhood experience right it's very important to have a character like that who can show that it's possible to rise above what you can come from mm. um i think he's a really interesting foil to ray and kylo yeah um, so that all of the characters kind of work together to to explore the different ideas within a theme like that you're not defined by your background yes so ray is allowing herself to be defined by that by you know refusing to leave jakku Mm. Um, she's desperate to be reunited with her family which is obviously looking to the past not the future mm. and Kylo Ren is clearly defined by what he perceives as his obligations to his lineage yes um, and Finn is the antithesis of that right like that he doesn't know who his family are but um, he was raised within the first order raised with this moral code and has rejected it and said no I'm going to find my own way yeah so it's, he's a really inspiring character yeah no definitely and that's a really good point about all of the characters exemplifying that you're not defined by your background because like the dark inverse of that is obviously Kylo because as far as we know, he had like a privileged and like loving background with his parents yet. He still became bad. Obviously there's going to be more complicated reasons for why that happened and what went down, but they are obviously drawing a parallel there between a character who had a family and presumably had love and then the characters who had no families and had no love, but they still made the right choices. Yeah. I mean, Finn literally says, I was raised to do this thing, right? Like, this I, this was what I was born to do. Yeah. Um, and then when they get to Maz's castle, he kind of delivers that speech about how 
evil and remorseless the, the First Order will be and that they have to run. Mm. So um, I don't think that's cowardly of him. It's completely understandable that he wants to get the hell away from this um, organization that kind of took his childhood away from him. Yes. Um, but it's like that very identifiable part of the, the hero's journey that he's refusing to turn around and face what he needs to do to become a hero. And yeah. then he does go back because he finds that motivation um, when Kylo takes Rey. Yes. So his his relationship with Rey through The Force Awakens is pretty crucial to his journey and to hers as well. So. Yeah. No, definitely. These are all people de- defined by their interrelationships, whether they're like positive or negative. Um, just quickly to go back to it, with um, that moment where Kylo notices Finn across the battlefield and they're just staring at each other. Like, how did you interpret that? What did you think was going on there? Um, I think Kylo senses that he wants, he's rejecting what's going on here, mm. right? Yeah. And I think Finn knows that on some level, that he's he, he stands there frozen like he's been caught in the act. Yes. And it's just hopes that if he doesn't say anything and he doesn't move, he'll he'll be let go, and he is. Yeah. And that's probably very confusing to him because he's, you know, Kylo Ren is like this, big monster yes um and we obviously see the repercussions of that through the rest of the movie you know if kylo hadn't let him go then they wouldn't have got the droid and ray wouldn't have joined finn's adventures and all sorts of things like han solo wouldn't have come to star killer base and confronted kylo like <laughs> yeah and it all leads up to the ending when um kylo and finn fight together so yeah basically force awakens happened because of finn's actions Yes. If it hadn't been for Finn breaking Poe out, Force Awakens would not have happened. Yeah, you get a lot of discussion about who's the protagonist of the Force Awakens. Is it Finn or is it Rey? Mm. It's like, well, you can say they both are in different ways, right? Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on your definition and what your emphasis on the story is. But if we're just looking at the Force Awakens rather than what the trilogy will be as a whole, I think Finn is more of a protagonist because I think his hero's journey is more clearly defined than Rey's. Yes. And I think he gets through more of the steps in the journey. Mm. Um, whereas Ray, for a large part of the movie, is still refusing the call. Yeah. Right? She ans- answers it in certain ways, but really until she captures that saber, she hasn't really accepted where things are going for her. Yeah. She's still holding out hope that she can go back to Jakku and be reunited with her family. Like, even after Maz says it to her, she still runs out of the castle. Yeah. Um, whereas Finn, very quickly, I think comes to terms with what he needs to do. Yes. He's much more decisive and kind of... Um, he propels the plot a bit more, I think, whereas um, it can be argued that Rey... Uh, I don't want to use the word passive because she's not a passive character. She's very strong and mm. smart and capable. Um, but the way that the narrative flows, she's kind of swept along with things a bit yeah. more. That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. She's just swept along with events. Yeah, whereas Finn... determining them, which is what Finn does. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that kind of has bearing on the characters themselves. It's not like, oh, he's a better character because he makes more decisions. Mm. Um, it's just interesting if you look at the, the the hero journey models and try to apply it to the various characters. Yeah. I definitely think that like Force Awakens for Finn is more of a self-contained hero's journey for him. Yeah. Whereas I think ray's hero's journey or heroine's journey like however it plays out that is going to be spread across all three films rather than kept be kept compressed into one Obviously, yeah finn's journey is going to continue like there's still lots of room for that character to develop and grow but like i think he's in a much more solid position than ray is at the end of force awakens 
Yeah, and I, I've seen people say that they think the opposite is true because he was defeated and ends up obviously in a hospital bed and his mm. future seems kind of uncertain. But based on how you look at like Luke's journey in A New Hope, Finn is much more similar to him, I think, than Rey, even though Rey is supposedly the one who's going to go off and become a Jedi like Luke. Mm. I think Finn's journey is closer to um, Luke's. Yeah. Like, Luke doesn't face Vader and defeat him. Doesn't even do that in an Empire Strikes Back, you know? Like it's, <laughs> yes. Um, you're supposed to have this insurmountable obstacle. Mm. Um, and then you rise up and become stronger because of your defeats. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I think on like a thematic level, you're definitely right. Like Finn is closer to Luke than Rey is. Yeah. I've seen people, and it, maybe it's because you have kind of have these two central characters of Rey and Finn and, and Rey seemingly kind of glides by um getting her various victories with no problem like i don't think that that is my that's not my understanding of the character but i've seen mm. people say it and you obviously there's all this mary sue talk <laughs> yes. um, and i wonder if that is kind of um emphasized by the contrast with finn's character because you can look at it from one level and say well finn doesn't doesn't win anything you know like i've seen people say this I don't want to put too much weight in like what random people on the internet are saying. <laughs> yes. It might not be reflective of how the general audience sees him. Um, but I think some people, because they want to identify with the male hero, mm. are like, well, he didn't get any victories, you know? Like he didn't beat Kylo Ren, he didn't he didn't beat that stormtrooper on Takadana. Mm. But I don't I don't think that's what really matters because this is just part one of his journey. Yeah. And um he's his motivation is to go back and find Ray, and he does. So that's the success for him. Yeah. That he faced his fears. The whole point of him facing Kylo is that he doesn't stand a chance. Like, that's not the point. You know, that being a hero is standing up and fighting, even though you know it's a long shot. Yes. But he's standing up because it's the right thing to do. He wants to protect his friends. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, the f- whole thing with Finn, like, is he might not have these grand victories. He might not like slay Kylo Ren and have that like punch the air moment, but he does like achieve exactly what he set out to achieve, which is like help and save Rey, like because he does save her by the end of Force Awakens, like, or at least he puts things in motion so that she can save herself. Like, and that was what he needed to do in that moment. So he fulfilled like his like role there like and that made him heroic because the obviously the whole idea with Finn is that he's like afraid and constantly running and he's terrified of the first order but then like he puts that fear aside because he actually comes to care about someone for the first time mm-hmm. Ray and then he prioritizes her well-being and her safety above his own so it's that move from selfishness to selflessness yeah like the notion of going back to star killer base after he's said that you know they we all need to run mm. um it's i it's just an insane level of bravery yeah <laughs> like you can't quite believe he does it because he really is going back into the belly of the beast yeah um but he cares about her so much that again it's this is the right thing to do you know mm. i know they kind of have that joking part earlier on when he kind of frees poe and he's like this is the right thing to do and Poe's like oh you need a pilot <laughs> yes but you you know, coming coming back to this idea of like Poe and Finn, some people perceive it as a romance, some people perceive it as a friendship, whatever, that's not really the point. Yeah. Uh, but like that's a really important relationship as well, that you you see 
how much humanity Finn has, right? And it's all been suppressed by this Stormtrooper costume for so long. Yes. That it's just really lovely to kind of see him blooming and like that he gets a name and really takes on this new identity. Yeah. No, exactly. Like he really comes into his own like as the film comes along. Like and yeah. he like really self determines for the first time. Like, which is like really nice. Because like there is something a bit odd about one of your main characters having his name be given to him by another main character and is like how much agency does that character have when you literally have another character there naming him like because he's been so depersonalized but I think that's the whole point that like he comes to recognize himself as an individual and he steps up like to that identifier like to assert himself as no I'm not like FN2187 I'm Finn I'm a person like so yeah that was a really nice arc for him yeah, I think it's actually pretty beautiful that Poe names him like that. And he, mm. he asks, is it okay? You know, he's yeah. not like, this is what I'm going to do and you're going to like that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah, and it's I not think, exactly forced upon him. <laughs> I think, you know, it's obviously very meaningful for Finn to be treated like a human being. Yeah. So. No, exactly. Like, What did you think about, like, how his demeanour, I guess? Like, how relaxed and cheerful and, like, buddy-buddy he seems to be? Because... I criticism I've seen is that he doesn't like interact like as you would expect a brainwashed child soldier to interact. Like, would you agree with that, or like, do you see like a reason for why he comes across as he does? I I do agree that he doesn't act like a brainwashed soldier, but I almost think that's kind of the point. Mm. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure that JJ and Lawrence Kazan had conversations about this, and the whole point was to inject this character with as much charisma and humanity as they could because. It is a contrast to how the stormtroopers are perceived to be. Yes. Um, and it's this idea, and it's pretty sinister, really, if you think about it, that underneath all of those masks are people. Mm. And they probably have just as much humanity and potential as Finders. Mm. Uh, but it's all been quashed, so. Yeah, no, definitely. I hope that's something we see return to, actually. So it would be... um. There's a lot of narrative potential there. And I also think there's the danger if they don't go down that territory of like exploring, well, if this one stormtrooper has humanity, what about the others? Because I think there's a bad message in implying that Finn is the only stormtrooper like who's like this, the only stormtrooper with humanity. Like when there's presumably hundreds of thousands of others out there, like because they should technically be given a chance to. Yeah, I guess we'll see. But I... I'd be really surprised if we don't show, we went not shown Finn having compassion for the stormtroopers because mm. it was a defining part of the story before he like decided to leave. Yeah, um, I know that wasn't part of the film, but it's canon. So yeah, if it all if it's all supposed to fit together, then I think that there's going to come this period of self reflection where we've heard rumors that um, Finn might decide like, okay, I'm going to go back and save my brothers. You know, mm. like they deserve to have freedom like I do. So. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Um, what did you think about the dynamic between Finn and Han? Oh, I loved it so much. <laughs> yes, it's so funny. Like, I feel like a lot of Finn's character, I don't know if this is true, but I just get the sense that a lot of Finn is kind of informed by John Boyega's natural charm and charisma. Yeah, same. Um, and you can just imagine him talking to Harrison Ford the way that Finn does to Han, like, just like calling him 
by his last name and just like being very like overly personable and Han is kind of a grouch just like Harrison Ford seems to be in interviews yes yeah so it, I don't know how true that is but it just seems it it just makes me smile every time yeah, no, I kind of get that impression, um, and I really hope that's the case. So I always remember that behind-the-scenes clip of um, John, bless him, when he has this Han Solo doll. Yeah. And he takes it up to Harrison, and Harrison has this, like, WTF expression on his face. <laughs> he signs it, and he's like, you're a weird kid. He doesn't actually say that, but he can just read it, radiation from his demeanour. And, yeah, it's just lovely. And I definitely get the impression they emulated that somewhat in their character dynamic. Yeah, and they kind of said the same about um, John and Daisy's real-life friendship, right? That that informed Mm -hmm. a lot of Finn and Ray's interactions in the final film. Yes. I think that's just why it all seems to come so easily. Like, you just believe this this character just, like, he just seems so genuine and warm. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I I, I love the fact that John Boyega is a real Star Wars fan as well. And, like obviously knows how exciting and how lucky he is that he got this opportunity yeah and just wants to share it with the fans like i just think he's been a gift for uh, probably star wars have no trouble promoting their films obviously it's star wars but i just think he's been excellent in terms of getting people hyped and really engaging with the fans because he's one himself yeah no I, i love that about john because a lot of people say oh i love star wars i've always been a fan but with John, you know he is not faking that love. Yeah. It's completely sincere. And yeah, like, and again, you often like read this phrase like infectious enthusiasm. But John's like enthusiasm is literally as inf- infectious as like the common cold. <laughs> yeah. You just see that smile like when he's really hyped up and gleeful about something. And it's like, yeah, I'm pumped. pumped. <laughs> it's so nice. Well- we saw him on stage at Celebration, right? Yes. It's just, yeah, it's just so, I, I just love him. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. It's still so surreal. Like, when you said that, like, it took me, like, a millisecond to process that and be like, oh, my God, yeah, we did. <laughs> we saw him. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. so cool. Like, and he's um, been dropping all these hints about how excited he is for eight and how how excited he is for people to see the rest of Finn's journey, so. Yeah. No, I'm sure they have really cool things planned. Um, and I also like how <laughs> how John like has been so like straight up with people on Twitter. So I think mm. um, after I think it was like an interview with Variety or maybe Vanity Fair, one of those two. Um, it was at Cannes, I think, last year, and it basically confirmed that they weren't going for like a romance with him and Ray. And like a fan, like tweeted him back and basically implied he didn't know what he was talking about or something equally rude and absurd because. Obviously, this guy's in the films. He knows what's in the scripts and so on. Um, and like John tweeted back, "Oh yeah, no, what's in? Have you read the script?" Yeah. And it's like I hate it when people are so like rude and aggressive, like that. It's just like, no, stop presuming things, please. Yeah, it must just get quite frustrating to have people just say to you, "Oh, you said something that I don't agree with." Blah blah. It's like I think that the characters and like like they know what they're talking about when they talk about the characters and what their future journeys are going to be. Yeah. So, you know, you could you can say that it's a red herring or misdirection or whatever you want, but they still said it and they know what they're talking about more than we do. So. Yeah, exactly. It's it's funny the way like fans will assume superior knowledge about something they know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> <It's quite laughs> <silly>. um, <laughs> 
yeah, no, that's quite funny. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about Finn and Force Awakens? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm not sure we've spoken quite enough about like the whole arc of his dynamic with Kylo. So I think that's easy to overlook because obviously the main adversarial relationships between Kylo and Rey rather than Kylo and Finn. But I do think that's important because like you see after Finn has helped Poe to escape, you see Kylo recollecting like FN two and eight seven. Like so he knows that he missed that opportunity to nip that in the bud before like the situation escalated. And then you can see Kylo beating himself up about that. Yeah, I think there is this notion that um, I don't want to say like Finn is a lowly stormtrooper because obviously he's not. He's the hero. Mm. But from Kylo's perspective, it's like he severely underestimated this trooper because he just saw him as a trooper, you know? Yeah, sure. What what can they do? Um, And he obviously wasn't under his control. And they really are set up as foils to each other right like mm. Finn is making the right decisions and Kylo's making the wrong ones yeah so it's it's really interesting like they don't have a ton of direct scenes together they have kind of have their their scenes kind of bookend the story right like you yeah. have the one at the beginning and then towards the end where you really see that contrast that Kylo stands there and does nothing and lets him go at the beginning and by the end he is so incredibly angry with him mm. because as we've said Finn's choices set everything in motion yeah so and you and get the sense that like kylo's projecting like all that emotion pent-up emotion onto finn because he knows deep down that finn is everything he's not he's right he, good choices he could have made but didn't make yeah kylo's obviously not ready to accept that like his level of responsibility and what's happened mm. so it's like oh yeah you're the traitor i i'm fully in the right you know you're the one who who um, destroyed everything. So it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how their art progresses. I'm not sure how much, if any, uh, screen time they'll get together in eight, but mm-hmm. I can see things coming back um, in nine in a big way where maybe they, wild speculation here, but maybe they could even like have to team up to do something together. <laughs> and there's this like really awkward, begrudging dynamic that, I don't know, maybe they could still come to some kind of understanding That'd I'd... be the ultimate odd couple. I honestly, I would love it. Like, <laughs> yes. I know this is the fangirl in me, but I am a low-key Finn Lochifer. <laughs> there is no shame. You so, will find no judgment here. Yeah, that's kind of my crackship. Not necessarily in a romantic way, but more just like I find their dynamic really interesting yeah. because of that contrast and um, how they could end up being unlikely friends at some point, or who knows, depending on what what Kylo decides to do in terms of, you know setting himself up for redemption or whatever but that I think it's like because Finn is that conscience not just for Kylo but for the story uh, for the audience as well like he like as we said he is the moral center of the story mm. um what implications is that going to have for the other characters yeah no definitely it's really like interesting I think there's like an intensity to that relationship that makes it interesting like on a thematic level I can also just because of how those two characters inform each other's arcs, because you sense that a lot of Finn's fear of the First Order is like zoned in on his fear of Kylo in particular. Mm. He's clearly very afraid of Kylo, and that fear of him as an individual is part of what makes his like, act of standing up to him like an 
the forest as part of what makes him so brave in that moment because yeah. it's not like it's just some faceless dark sider he's never met before it's the dark sider who he stared at like in his first battle and he was clearly absolutely shit and bricks because yeah. he was so frightened just to be caught in this man's glare and then he sees that same man with the mask off and in full rage mode after he's killed like his mentor and his friend so it could not be more personal and more high stakes in that moment mm-hmm. yeah it's going to be very interesting to see like how Finn's opinion of Kylo evolves because he can't just stay being afraid of him right? yeah. like he, he may have been like defeated by him this first time mm. but the idea that he's going to come back bigger and stronger than ever um yeah i feel like almost like he's going to develop some sense of pity for kylo because of that foil relationship right that he was able to escape the first order but kylo, kylo hasn't been able to yeah so now that'd be an interesting way for them to take it again talking purely theoretically it'd be nice like maybe to see them both acting like for a common cause in episode nine like you say, if they have to team up, it would have to be because something was threatened or something was at risk that they both had a stake in. And so it'd be like, I don't trust you, but I think we have to work together here. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. They're going to have to like power characters up in all sorts of ways that seem unexpected to us now, but you have to explore all those various dynamics. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, so in, in The Force Awakens, obviously we got primarily Rey and Finn and then Rey and Kylo. But yes. because they are kind of the three new leads, it does kind of have to be brought full circle. Mm. Yeah, I think they're going to switch things up in all kinds of interesting ways. We already know from what we've been hearing about episode eight that the character parents in that film, not necessarily romantic, just in terms of which characters are spending time with each other, they're not necessarily what you'd expect. Mm. which is interesting yeah and it it makes sense from a story level right like i know people got very attached to seeing ray and finn together in the force awakens and Mm. you know i'm attached to that too i think i think their dynamic is fantastic Mm. um and it's really important to both of their journeys yes um but they can't just stay together because then how are they being tested you know there's this Mm. sense that they could always save the day together but ryan johnson has said like they're each of the heroes is going to be thrown into these really difficult circumstances. So mm. they, they can't have those support networks there. Yes. So no, exactly. very interesting to see how Finn's journey develops. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for it. Um, right. So you ready to start talking about what we know about Finn in episode eight? Yeah. Cool. Um, so obviously this is going to entail spoilers for episode eight. I'd say... The only spoilers we have about Finn right now, they're all quite mild. There's nothing like earth shattering. There's nothing on the level of Finn kills X or (laughs) Finn is X's son. We know nothing like that. So if you don't mind relatively low level things, I'd say it's fine to listen on. But if you do, then skip ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And we're very sorry if you catch us saying something grievously awful that spoils the film. But I don't think that would happen. Um... Yeah, so again, we've only heard small things. I'm pretty sure they're all from making Star Wars, excluding like the Dubrovnik press photos, where we have like the pictures of doubles for Finn and Kenny Marie Trans character on the back of a horse, um, which is some of the most awesome things to come out of Episode 8. 
um and yeah there's just like a hodgepodge of things like him first appearing in like a back to suit and then being like cut open captain america style to reveal that he's better than ever Um, (laughs) and then there's stuff like he's planting bombs with kelly marie trans character and like i'm just trying to remember if there's anything else in particular can you think of any rooms i'm missing kirsty um i don't think so it has all been pretty you know tame stuff like that um it's not like a huge spoiler because it kind of gives you like a certain of context of the scene but you have no real idea of what the dynamics are going to be and what the results are yes um wasn't there one i there was one that was like reddit so yeah it would pinch salt but it was something like um someone like a villain loses their arm or something and people were speculating that it was phasma and that finn could do that like oh. he could face off against phasma yes 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 no you're right i can't i don't have it in my mind as to like what was speculation based on the spoiler itself and what was actually in there so i don't want to seem too certain about all that yeah i know exactly what you're talking about now that was some um, boffin spy oh right yeah <laughs> so oh, he was the same the same person who said about the exploding huts, right? <laughs> yes, he was. Um, yeah, so he's... I'd say he's in the upper echelon of Reddit posters. Not that that says a great deal. But, um, I, like, he's higher than complete nonsense. Um, and, yeah, I think the implication was that Phasma gets her arm chopped off. And that is, like, an act of revenge. And it's heavily implied that it's done by Finn. Mm. For some kind of personal reason. Um, and there wasn't much more detail than that. Um, but yeah, that was a very intriguing rumour. Um, and it would imply that we might be getting what we're hoping for, more exploration of that dynamic between Phasma and Finn, because we felt right. that was quite lacking in Force Awakens. Yeah. So I'd welcome that. Yeah, the same, because it almost gives us like this weird twisted version of a mother-son relationship, right? Mm. Um, but also that I think Phasma was woefully underutilized in The Force Awakens and she could have been taken seriously much more in terms of Finn's journey and his betrayal. Mm, um, so hopefully they can kind of revive that. Yeah, and you're right, actually. That's a really good point about it responding, resembling like parental relationships. It'd almost be like a freaky echo of Darth Vader and Luke in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Obviously, Vader chops off Luke's hand. And then if Finn cuts off Phasma's arm, then that would almost be that moment for episode eight because it would be like a pseudo maternal figure and her child having this extremely dramatic confrontation that results in one party losing a limb. But it's like the complete inverse of what we've had before. So I think that would be exciting if they did that. Yeah. Obviously, we have no idea whether that's going to happen or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's interesting to speculate. In the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can do right now. So it's like, and to be honest, let's face it, it's more fun to talk about hypothetical rumors that are probably completely wrong, like but they're really juicy ones, like fast, yeah, arm chopped off. <laughs> exactly. We're just entertaining ourselves in the meantime. Like it's not like we're actually saying we believe all of them are true. Yeah, they probably can't all be true, but when you're discussing them, it's like. Well, if this were true, <laughs> what would it say about the characters? Exactly. I think the most important thing about all this is always how it's framed. So as long as it's not like we've heard from high-level sources that Phasma gets her arm chopped off. Like, we wouldn't say that. Um, 
so it's okay because we're not trying to make out that there's something they're not so as long as you remember that would take all this with a large pinch of salt then i think we're good yeah i was thinking earlier it'd be kind of interesting if we went into episode eight and nothing that we'd heard was true <laughs> yes like nothing it was just a completely unexpected movie. Like I, I think that would be kind of fantastic, actually. <laughs> Maybe like all the set photos and making Star Wars stuff we've been getting is like deliberate, like um, deception. Yeah, it's all an elaborate hoax. <laughs> the space horse isn't a thing. The tree isn't a thing. It's just all there to <laughs> to amuse us in the meantime. About that, I think. <laughs> oh my god. Um. <laughs> yeah so like out of the more reliable rumours that we've heard so like the stuff in Dubrovnik the reports from making Star Wars is there anything in particular that you're excited for? Uh, well it's hard to pin down something specific because again we don't know the context of what everything's going on but mm. I do really like the idea of this casino planet and Finn being kind of undercover or kind of get to the bottom of something that the First Order's doing there and it being such a contrast to things in The Force Awakens because it has this like sophisticated, genteel veneer. Yes. And then we know that there's this like criminal underbelly of some kind going on. And um, yeah, there's just so much potential there. Yeah. I do like the idea of Finn having to become almost like a spy and like being indulged in that kind of environment. I really like the sounds of that because mm. that would be a completely different test for that character because the situations he was put in, in Force Awakens. He was generally like, able to like coast along by the seat of his pants. Um, whereas if he were told you've got to be a, a spy on a covert mission, I think that'd be like a whole new challenge for that character, and it'd be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And you could you can t- kind of anticipate that it wouldn't go smoothly, right? At some point, something's going to go really wrong for them. Yeah, and they're going to have to work out how to get out of it, or maybe somehow they don't, and it's kind of like that's the cliffhanger that we're left on at the end of eight. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Be totally off seeing that. Yeah, I think um, in terms of other rumors, haven't making Star Wars also said that he's going to have the the jacket from Poe again? Yes, I'm pretty sure they have. Yeah, um, and I think the photo we had from uh, Dubrovnik, like it appeared to show him with that jacket on. I think. Yeah. Like, I kind of wanted him to have a new costume mm. because again, the jacket, even though it's symbolic of like his and Poe's friendship, I kind of want him to develop his own identity. And I think sometimes costumes can reflect that. Mm, definitely. So it, it does kind of imply that he's like a bo- borrowed to some extent, like in terms of his personality. So yeah, like I love Finn and he's complete and he's very different from Poe. But yeah, I think it would be nice to show that evolution by giving him a different outfit. But I yeah. guess for him, it probably does symbolize that like first step to personhood because I think that was the first piece of clothing he ever put on after like shedding his Stormtrooper costume in the desert. So yeah. I expect that means a lot to him, which I expect is why he holds on to it. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if he still has it in nine. Like I feel yeah. like at some point they have to symbolise him becoming, you know, who he was always meant to be in terms of himself and not just defining himself by other people. So Yeah, and also from just like cynical marketing perspective... Um, they'd want to make toys out of Finn and it's true. difficult to make lots of different toys when the character's always wearing a single costume. So yeah. I'd expect to see them mix things up for that reason. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, what did you think about the potential dynamic with Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's character? Uh, we kind of touched on this last week, so I don't really know what to think because we're kind of hearing rumours about a potential romance. Mm. Uh, making Star Wars have kind of been hinting at that in their podcast for a while now, but I it's hard to know what that's based on. Like yes. whether they because they haven't released like a report to back it up, so it's like, it's hard to know. Um, I like you said in your predictions, I think there's the potential for like a flirty banter, um, but I don't know if that would translate into anything like a kiss. I, we'll just have to see. Yeah, like you say, I think it's really hard to speculate right now because we just know so little. Um, the main impression we have is just that they are probably going to spend quite a lot of the film together. Um, but we've no idea in what capacity or like what that dynamic's going to involve. Yeah, so, yeah it's a bit of a they'll, dead end. <laughs> they'll have to distinguish it from his relationship with Ray. Mm, That's the thing. Like they, it has to be different in some way. Yeah, um, it has to test him and like help him mature and progress through the journey. So I don't know how they'll do that. Whether that means that it would be a love interest to kind of show him becoming more of an adult, because mm-hmm. um, as we've said before. Finn and Ray are both kind of childlike in The Force Awakens. Yeah. They're obviously of adult age, but because they're both at the very beginning of their journeys, kind of the way that Luke was, they have this kind of naivety. Mm. Um, and that will have to change throughout the story. So, Yeah. No, I think Finn and Ray are both very similar characters in many ways. So I think they're probably going to make Kelly Marie Tran a very different kind of woman to Ray in order to differentiate her and make the dynamic very different. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that we something to look forward to. Um, right, and yeah, then I was wondering, would you just like to say a bit about like Finn's reception, the wider fandom, and stuff? Because Finn is a character who is strange to me. I see he seems to either provoke loads and loads of comment, or not much comment at all. Because mm-hmm. it seems like all the talk about the mysteries of Star Wars, that's all concentrated around Rey and Luke and Kylo. So you don't hear Finn being mentioned much, like in terms of the mystery box or what are the big reveals going to be down the road. But at the same time, there is lots of discussion around Finn in other ways, especially in terms of how people feel he's been represented and like whether he's been done justice as a character. Um, like. What have you what have you observed like about that? Yeah, I think a lot of that stems from where Ray and Finn are in their respective journeys at the end of the Force Awakens. Like Ray is going off to find Luke Skywalker, so her element of the next film is kind of more clearly defined. Like I think the audience walked away from it, assuming right she's going to be the Jedi in training. You know, mm. she's going to kind of mirror Luke in Empire Strikes Back, whereas Finn, it's kind of a bit more up in the air. Yeah. Um. But it's it's complicated because I feel like a lot of people who really, really love Finn um, are also like simultaneously disappointed with a lot of how his character um, was presented. Mm. And I don't this is not true for everyone. I don't want to make like a huge sweeping statement because obviously everyone feels very differently about the character and probably have all sorts of complicated feelings about him, just like people do with all the other characters. Um, but I've noticed on some forums that I look at like, people can really, really love the character and feel very strongly about, yes, this is my favourite character and I can't wait to see what happens to him and everything, but also feel a bit betrayed by the fact that he wasn't given those victories the way that Rey was in The Force Awakens. Mm. Um, Because people obviously identify with heroes, right? They want to feel like 
this is the hero that I identify with and he's he's winning you know he's triumphing and I've said that I do think that Finn um wins in the Force Awakens because I don't think that just comes down to whether you win or lose a fight Mm. it's more about what you decide to do and act upon yes um and I think Finn does become a hero Mm. um but yeah I think it's all kind of complicated by the fact that we have a female hero and then we have um, a character who is obviously portrayed by a black actor. Mm. Um, so there are these complicated issues of representation. And yeah. um, I do not think that the bait and switch marketing of The Force Awakens helped. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that created expectations. And then obviously when the film dashed those expectations. So no, Ray was the Jedi, not Finn. Like that did leave some people really disappointed. And yeah, I think the blame for that really has to be laid on like all the secret keeping and the marketing of that film. Because it is kind of unfair, especially like you say, when there's all these concerns about representation of black characters in particular. So it, it does feel a bit queasy to take that away from people when they were getting so psyched and excited for that. Yeah, it's very complicated because I think a lot of people and, you know, I, I can understand this and identify it with it to, to a certain extent. We're ecstatic that we finally have this force sensitive female hero, you know? Yeah. Like it's not to diminish that. Um, but I know that plenty of people were excited to see Finn become the force sensitive Jedi. And the trailers kind of led some people to believe that that was what was going to happen. Yeah. So when you get invested in a certain idea, especially when it's one that's very important to you on a personal level in terms of representation, that's got to be really tough. Yeah. Um, and you know we'll see like I know there's lots of discussion still going on about whether Finn's force sensitive or not and he could well be mm. um, but I I think that if he is just based on what we've been hearing it's going to be in terms of um, like more similar to how Leia is that yes. you know she has the power but um, her destiny lies more with the political side of the conflict as opposed to the spiritual force aspect mm. So unless all the spoilers that we've been hearing are wrong, and there's always a possibility of that, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's where Finn's journey is taking him. Yeah. So I hope people aren't too disappointed by that because hopefully it's still a fantastic story for the character, you know? Like I've said before, Han Solo is my favourite in the original trilogy. So even though I love the Force aspect of Star Wars, it's not the beginning and end of it for me. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think people sometimes have the misconception that the only way a character can be a badass and truly achieve things if they're a Jedi. And I understand where that comes from, because obviously the Jedi are so iconic and people majorly identify Star Wars with Jedi heroes like Luke. But yeah, like you say, we have Han Solo and he doesn't have an ounce of the Force in him as far as we can tell. Yeah, mm. everyone loves Han and he's such a great hero character, like despite his dubious morality on occasion, um, or maybe even because of it. Um, um, yeah, we love that character and he's great and he is an interesting story and arc. So there's no reason why Finn can't have like a similarly exciting and engaging story. Yeah, I'm I'm confident that they'll they'll do great things with the character. Yeah, like, same. I think someone, um, I can't remember what the person tweeted at Ryan, but it, it was something about like people are concerned that Finn was played up for comic relief and that's, you know, something that will continue to the detriment of his potential journey. Mm. And he, he tweeted back, like, he's so much more than that, you know? Like, I think you're actually underselling the character. Yeah. So that's encouraging. Because, you know, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with a character 
providing comic relief. Like that's kind of an essential in Star Wars. Mm. But if you if you maybe put it all on one character, and it can be argued that um, like Finn was given most of that in The Force Awakens. Like Ray is not a particularly funny character. No. <laughs> Kylo was played for maybe one or two laughs, but he's generally a tragic character. Yes. So then that kind of leaves this gap, and John Boyega is obviously naturally hilarious himself. Yeah. And the you know the the character of Finn was given many comedic moments. I don't think that's a bad thing, but that's down to my interpretation. I don't, I don't think it's like that can be all a character provides. You know, if they're making the audience laugh, then that's all they offer because that's obviously not true with Finn. Yeah. No, exactly. So. There's more substance to the character beyond that. Um, like, what do you? What's your opinion like on how the character's been received in uh, other areas of fandom? So like in shipping, for example, like there's been Storm Pilot and stuff, and that was really popular early on, but it does seem to be like less of a thing now. Like what was your feeling on that? Yeah, I'm I'm not involved in that side of the fandom, so it is just kind of like what what comes up on my Tumblr dashboard. Yes. Um but I do I do think it's still quite popular and I think um maybe some people who aren't necessarily keeping up with the spoilers and obviously not everyone's going to and kind of have to remember that when you're navigating fandom. Yes. Um, I think some people might still be hoping that something comes of that. Mm. So, I mean, I hope that they have great scenes together because I think that the, the the characters and the actors have excellent chemistry. Yeah, sure. Um, and it will give us kind of that deeper insight into how things are going with the resistance. But um, based on what we've been hearing, Kelly Marie Tran's character is going to be kind of his main sparring partner in scenes and development. Yeah, no, exactly. I hope like people's hopes for Storm Pilot don't like impinge on their enjoyment of like the potential dynamic between Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's character, because I'm sure that's also going to be great. But at the same time, there's always a problem in like franchises where if you have a really beloved like pairing, and then you try to move their focus to another pairing that's new and different, like some people can be quite hostile towards that. So I hope mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. I think that might also be the case, people who were hoping that Finn and Ray would have a romance. Mm. You know, it's still possible, but I, if if it is going to happen, that would happen in nine as opposed to eight, based on what we've been hearing. Because mm. we'll just have to see. But um, we know so little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot could change between now and December. So exactly, and there's lots of guesswork involved. Um, right? Have we said what we want to say about Finn? I think so. I mean, we'll keep talking about him <laughs> yeah, as spoilers come out and yeah. as we gear up to episode eight, it's still obviously a long way off. But yeah, I think he's he's often an overlooked character and I think that can be pretty unfair. Yes. Um, and I also think that, again, it comes kind of, it might just come back to this bait and switch with him holding the saber in a lot of the material, but um, sometimes because of because John Boyega was cast and I know that they were they were looking at um white actors as well like it mm. it was a kind of colorblind casting like that was kind of what they were going for yeah um it it does get very convoluted with issues of representation like there was this you know there was a pretty horrendous backlash when he was first announced um he was going to be in the role and yeah. he was going to be a stormtrooper like there was a hor- horrific amount of racist abuse mm. um just the idea of there being a black stormtrooper was inconceivable. It's just ridiculous. It's like, this is a story set in space and that's the part that you don't buy, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, people are absurd when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, I 
I think John's taken it really well. Like I think he's he's just he's he's made lots of comments about how he just feels sorry for people who perceive the world that way, and it's, he's not going to let it define him or yeah. bring him down. So yeah, then that's such a good approach to take. Um, right. Oh, are we ready to move on to came from Reddit? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, this time we are going to call this segment. It came from 4chan because <laughs> this did not come from Reddit. It came from 4chan. <laughs> um, and basically this is a rumor that came from 4chan and it basically <laughs> um, lit up certain parts of the internet with pe- lots of people panicking and being very like, ah, the world's falling, the world's falling, <laughs> um, because they were scared by the implications of this. And basically, someone from Furious Fanboys um, said that parts of this rumour match up with things he have he has heard, but hasn't seen like, posted publicly elsewhere. So that's why people are giving this more credence than they would like your regular nonsense on 4chan or reddit um so yeah like it's still very possible that this is all just elaborations of what making stars have already posted because a lot of the aspects of this are things that have already been shared by jason ward for example um but yeah we will go through this and discuss it so we can make up our own minds (laughs) (laughs) um right and this is the substance of what the post said it was eight starts with kylo ren in a backed tank then we see back of his head as helmet is placed down like Vader in Empire Strikes Back. Snoke kills Hux with the Force while stationary in his throne. Luke is insane. Talks to animals. He disappears again. Rey has to fend for herself on island where everything wants her dead. Fights a giant Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Gets chased, led by birds, into a giant tree. Ray trips balls and meets Obi-Wan and Yoda. <laughs> I'm reading this verbatim. <laughs> Wakes up to Luke standing over her and a bird with giant eyes. This sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> Tells Ray she has to kill Kylo Ren. Ray doesn't want to. Ray and Kylo connect to each other with the Force. Kylo arrives on the planet and they fight and Kylo knocks Ray off cliff and incapacitates Luke. Kylo Ren gets swarmed by birds. Kirsty, mm. what do you think? Uh, I de- I never use 4chan, so I'm not really sure. I I, I hear that it's like the cesspool of the internet. It's so, awful, yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure whether to trust it because a lot of this does come from making Star Wars, like you said, and the other things could have just been kind of filled in, like with yeah. just guesses or whatever. But I think it's interesting this idea of like Kylo and Bacta and then them kind of mirroring that moment with vader because it would be kind of playing on people's expectations and then if you see him from the back you're not going to see his scar so that kind of builds up to a reveal later in the movie yes Uh, and you were guessing that hux might die in episode eight although i think you were speculating that kylo would kill him yeah like um i think it was more that i thought kylo might lash out at hux in episode eight i didn't think he'd actually die um like i thought if he was going to die it'd probably be in episode nine but Mm. that's partly because i just enjoy donald gleason and i find the character interesting um but he could die i'd be kind of shocked if he died so quickly but i'd expect they'd want to shock us if something like that were to happen the thing is like a way of showing snoke is pissed yeah they need to have some kind of consequence for what happened with star killer yeah that's true and if phasma's still alive 
and gets off scot-free. I don't know how, because as we've said before, she just like completely lowers the shields, no problem, and lets them get away with it. Yeah. Um, but if Hux, you know, he's general, that's his project, and it failed not necessarily because of him, but like someone's head's got to roll. Mm. And if we want to take Snoke seriously as the big bad, he kind of has to be brutal. Yes. So I, I could see it happening. And it would kind of shock people. Like, if that happens at the beginning of episode eight, it's like, oh, wow, you know, they mean business with this. Yeah. So. No, like, it would be kind of really unfair, though, if Hux were to die for that. Because Hux really didn't do anything wrong. Like, if anyone should pay for that, Phasma should, because she is literally directly responsible. But yeah, it has to be a scapegoat, I guess. Yeah, there doesn't Sorry, have Hux. to be an element of fairness about it, right? Like, <laughs> that could be part of the story that Hux dies, but it's actually more Kylo and Phasma's fault. Yeah, so. this is true. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe um, Donald Gleeson had a really busy schedule. <laughs> it's like, sorry, guys. <laughs> Can you kill me? Based on interviews that he's given about the part, he's not too enthusiastic about it anyway. Oh, like, really? What, what well, I just, well, he just talks about like, yeah, he's evil. He has a British accent. You know, <laughs> like it's very one dimensional, really. I know Fan and Hooks is like this huge deal. Mm. I have my own beef with that for for reasons that I won't go into. But um yeah, I just he's got three minutes of screen time in The Force Awakens, so I know people have built him up into this like amazing bad character. But most of his dialogue is very like release the ventral cannons, and he's a bit of a cartoon. Yeah, to be fair though, I I've always had the impression that Donald's always been quite like affectionate when he talks about him being like one dimensional because he is. But like I get the sense he like finds that quite fun to play. Yeah, I don't mean like he way. hates the role or is unhappy yeah, about it or anything. It's just like it's not a defining career moment for him. Like <laughs> yeah. he's a fantastic actor and is in so many of the great things where he really is allowed to show his talent. Yeah, I, sure. You know, this character, like <laughs> he's just there to be bad. So Yeah, he is very much. So he could end up being cannon fodder. We'll see. Yeah. Like what did you think about um like Ray tripping balls and <laughs> presumably having some kind of encounter with Obi-Wan and Yoda. I do think they have to have this element of like kind of like the cave in Dagobah, right? But that mm. she does kind of connect to the force in a in a new way. Um and she has elements of that obviously with the vision in the Force Awakens, but we've heard that there are gonna be um returns to that in eight and kind of spur on the narrative a bit more. Mm. Um so I know some people have been speculating that she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter. I'm not mm. completely sold on that, but that would be kind of a way to bring that about, right? That she sees her grandfather through the force. I don't know. And like, yay, hey babe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, so we've we've heard things about Yoda being in it, so it it's conceivable. Yeah. But... Definitely not beyond the realms of possibility. Um yeah. I like the suggestion, which I think part at least partially emerges from making Star Wars that the animals are very hostile towards her and Kylo. So it's not just like, they're like, oh, Kylo's evil. Let's let's get him. It's like they don't like Ray either. So it seems like they're incredibly particular about the kind of people <laughs> they want on the island. Again, I'm working off the presumption that there's some truth in this just for the sake of discussion. Um, but yeah, I, I like the idea of like the fauna of the planet being like, like, having like a very strong like invite only policy yeah it's almost this idea that like luke deserves to be there like he's reached this higher plane of existence somehow like he's the god in the scenario right yeah um and then these two young kids show up 
and kind of ruin the equilibrium. Like they're there to cause trouble and drama. Mm. So the animals don't like it because they're kind of wrecking that that sanctuary for Luke almost. Mm. Exactly. Um, so yeah, like you very much get the sense of peace being very disturbed. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and my favourite part of this is Kylo Ren gets swarmed by birds. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> I'd be totally down for that. Um, would you be like cool with this if it were to happen? Um, yeah, I I know we've been hearing about Luke as insane or crazy. Mm. Like there have been a lot of reports like that. I think some of the discussion can be a bit insensitive in terms of like talking about him like oh he's off his rocker and everything like yeah this character is very important to lots of people but also in terms of like talking about characters who maybe are coded as mentally ill or something mm. it sometimes can just strike me as a bit unnecessary but it's probably not meant that way um yeah. it's probably supposed to imply some kind of loss of faith on Luke's part or yes a sense of doubt that he feels like he's failed because of what happened to Ben. Mm. Um, I, I think it's mainly going to be an issue with the reporting. People like just being sensitive and how they report the rumours they've been hearing about how that character behaves. Yeah. In episode 8, I, I doubt he's going to actually be presented as like mentally ill or anything in the film. I think at most it will be highly eccentric and detached from norms of human behaviour. Yeah. That kind of stuff, I wonder if that is legit. Like, people have actually been hearing about that, that about eight, or they're inferring it from what we knew about the Force Awakens development. Mm. Um, because there's a lot of concept art that relates to Luke really kind of transcending to this, like you say, kind of detached state. There's like an image of him lying down and sand is covering his body, and you know, that he's it's very mysterious and almost wizard like. Yes. Um, that he's definitely not the Luke that we know from Return of the Jedi like lots of things have been happening to him to get him to the state so it's possible that they're building on that and they that's the way they were always intending to take the character mm. or people are developing spoilers based on what's already out there yeah it's so hard it's a bit of a minefield in order to distinguish like fact from fiction and fact from speculation yeah when it comes I mean, to this kind of thing we've talked before about how the next part of Ray's journey, if you look at the heroine journey model, will be confronting the powerless father. And again, that's not supposed to be necessarily in the literal sense. It's this idea that in The Force Awakens, he's really built up as this, you know, incredible myth, you know, that Luke Skywalker can do anything. As long as he comes back, everything will be okay again. Mm. And then because the, the heroine is kind of coming of age as she moves through the story... It's this adolescent stage, as Ryan Johnson referred to in that interview we were talking about last week, that um, you kind of get to that point, right, where you realise that the parents and um, elder figures aren't necessarily infallible. Yeah. That um, they can make mistakes or have the wrong idea about something, that you need to go your own way and carve your own path. Yes. So there's this element of kind of her not finding everything she needs to find in Luke. Yeah, um, and then figuring out how to progress as herself. So mm. yeah. it kind of fits that, I suppose. It just depends on how they handle it. Yeah, no, definitely. There's lots of interest and implications. This rumor, I, I'd be down for seeing something like that on the screen because, like I expect, it's because the way in which it's described, it sound just sounds really weird and crazy. But if you were to describe the sequence of events in Empire Strikes Back, it sounds similarly insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so yeah, like it's much about the te- way it's told. So I'm guessing when you talked about uh, this generating lots of discussion among fans, is mm-hmm. this idea that this probably means that Luke wouldn't be Ray's father? Is that is that what it is? Um, no, I think the thing that really got people um, concerned was the suggestion that Kylo incapacitates Luke. Oh, it's okay. Because people really, really don't like the suggestion that Kylo could be more powerful than Luke. Um, mm. I think especially because they feel cheated out of Luke's screen time in Force Awakens. So you'll find that a lot of people just want Luke to be a stone-cold badass, like, going forward right. from now. Um, okay. So yeah, that's what got people really het up, I think. Well, that part does contradict what making Star Wars have said before, right? Um, Like... With me, the making stars report on that moment, it gets really fuzzy after Ray vanishes off the cliff because that's what the making Star Wars version of that rumor suggested. I thought they said that Luke was walking towards him calmly and Kylo runs away. Yeah, they suggested that, but I wasn't clear on whether that was like a solid understanding of how the scene played out mm. or whether it was like mm, we're not completely sure what happens after she vanishes um we kind of saw mark hamill walk towards adam driver and we didn't know what was going down <laughs> oh okay yeah so i'm not 100 percent sure but yeah like it does potentially contradict it yeah it's so hard to know because they have walked back different elements of what was being filmed in ireland because obviously it was mostly just based on eyewitness testimonials from people who were very far away yes so you have to take it all with a pinch of salt to begin with anyway yeah, no, exactly. And I think when people know Luke Skywalker's involved, there's probably going to be lo- lots of wish fulfillment involved in the telling. <laughs> yeah, well, I know people got really excited when they first said that stuff about, like, Luke Skywalker's a badass and he'll destroy your squad, like him taking down the Knights of Renault by himself and then going after Kylo. Yeah. You know, that would have really excited people who were disappointed that we didn't get Luke in The Force Awakens. So, yeah, no, people really, really want badass Luke, which I understand. Yeah. Like, yeah, so, um, yeah, and then, like, just following that up, there were a few more comments. Someone said, like, I think it was the same person who posted it originally. They said this is the first 40 minutes of the first, they said this is 40 minutes of the first hour of the movie. And they said it's getting positive buzz, but they're not sure if audiences will enjoy it or think it's weird. And finally, if you want an idea of what the universe law of Star Wars is building towards, Watch Clone Wars and Rebels, but it's mostly background noise. The story of Rey and Kylo Ren. So, yeah, I find that stuff interesting. And I could see that. So I know you've been getting things like the Bendu in Star Wars Rebels. And mm. things like there being this force connection between Maul and Ezra. Yeah. So you could easily perceive those things as being seats for concepts that will be returned to in the saga films. Yeah, I think they will like just based on how Rey and Kylo interact in The Force Awakens it's clear that there is going to be some kind of connection to them and it's going to be something that relates to the Force because of them going into each other's minds and stuff yeah um but I think it's a bit strange that they say it's 40 minutes of the first hour of the movie or what's what the hell is going on with like Poe and Finn and everyone else then yeah I'd be very surprised if they only have 20 minutes in the first hour (laughs) yeah it's kind of all relating to the stuff that we've heard the most spoilers about already Mm. you know so there's nothing like hugely brand new about like because we have very little on Poe right now yes so if they'd added in some details about that I might have taken it a bit more seriously but mm-hmm. yeah no, it was mo- prob- probably nonsense but who knows <laughs> yeah um right are you ready for questions yeah okay cool 
The first one is an email from Val, and she said, I simply adore the Scavengers podcast. Thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Forgive me if you've addressed this before. I've seen a few fan videos making reference to hidden tidbits in The Force Awakens, such as finding little hearts or wings in the background trees. I enjoy watching these videos, and I can really appreciate the passion these fans have. But in the end, I feel in most cases it's simply a case of looking too hard for clues that, that aren't there. Except perhaps in this video posted by Gwendy85. In the clip, after Ray's forced back and speaking with Mars, you hear a whisper. After Ray hears it, she refuses the lightsaber and runs off into the woods. It's definitely present in the film. It could just be a force-like whisper or echo. After listening to it a few times, it really does sound as if it could be saying it's Ben. It even sounds like it could be Ray's voice whispering. What are your personal thoughts? Am I looking too hard or is there perhaps something to this? Um, what do you think about that, Kirsty? This is the kind of thing that it's super hard to know because they they seem to have really played around with the sound editing in The Force Awakens. Mm. Um, and it kind of hinges a lot on whether things were cut from the original script and things like that. So um, another example is when in the novelization, when Rey catches the saber, Kylo Ren says, it is you. Mm. I think they originally filmed that. And there's a moment in the film where it looks like he could be mouthing it as they're yeah. fighting. But it's impossible to know because it goes by so quickly and you can't hear him say anything. Yeah. So there's all the, these elements where people are just kind of like really digging into it and speculating. Um, yeah. It's the kind of thing that if you hear it, you hear it. Um, and if others don't, that's fine because there could have been all sorts of things that they put in and then they took out and then they've just kind of made things super quiet so that it's like there, but it's like an Easter egg. So. Mm. Anything that's so subtle like that is not going to be critical to the narrative. So it doesn't really matter whether you see it or don't, you know? Yeah. If it contributes to your enjoyment of the story, then that's fantastic. But mm. I, I don't look into things like that because they don't give me a clue as to where things are going. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, like that's not something I've heard. Like I have listened to the dialogue there quite carefully and I haven't heard it's Ben. Um, I, I do think it's like Kirsty says, it's very hard to say what exactly is in there because these mixes get really complicated and there's so many different elements. So it is possible there's like hidden dialogue buried deep, deep, deep down and people are hearing that. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that we all suffer from confirmation bias when it comes to things like this. So we really, really, really want like there to be these clues in there because we desperately want to understand these films and we want to find meaning in these very obscure moments that are difficult to understand um, and like really tell what they're trying to say to us. So I think that can make us vulnerable to hearing what we want to hear sometimes because yeah. I, I'm certainly guilty of that sometimes. I've done that before. Um, like There is one part in the film where I think there's very subtle dialogue but I, I do hear it. But again, I think it might be my confirmation bias but I, I, I'd say I'm like 60% sure it's there and that's when at the end when you see Kylo trying to get up after Ray slashed his face and he's in the snow you he's like gasping and at one point I think you can hear him say Ray but I, I think that too but I also believe other people when they say they don't hear it yeah so I've I've um heard that for a long time like ever since the blu-ray came out i didn't hear it in the film like yeah. in the cinema because there's just way too much going on and the the sound sounds different yeah um i think it's one of those things where they originally intended for him to say her name in the force awakens and then decided not to have it there 
Yeah. So it doesn't count as official dialogue. And it's been played around in the editing so much that most people won't hear it. Yes. Um, but when he when he sits up, yeah, I think I think he says it. But it's not supposed to be heard. So yeah. it's it doesn't count as him saying it as a character. Do you know do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. Like it's just this really weird grey area. Like it's like very strange the sound editing situation <laughs> with Force Awakens. There's all these ambiguities and you can really argue it either way as to whether it adds anything. Like yeah, it adds like something it in the... to us because we want that dynamic to be important and we want him to be like, oh, Ray, Ray, why? <laughs> but in the novelization, he says her name quite a lot. Mm. So at, at a certain point, they were going to have him say her name and then decided for whatever reason not to. It yes. remains to be seen whether that's going to be significant, like whether in eight, if he does say her name, that's going to be an important moment for the characters. Yes. It might it might be, and that's why they decide to take it out. So mm. just gotta see. I <laughs> the mystery box is driving everyone mad, <laughs> myself included. Yeah. So. We're, we're all um just getting incredibly frustrated with it, I think. Yeah. Um, I think people start to really, really look into the story because there have been such wide and conflicting opinions as to what the story is trying to tell us. Yeah. So people get really deep into it and it can be rewarding and fun. Mm. But I've never seen this with any other kind of franchise or story it's been really interesting to see yeah no totally people get really deep into it and yeah i, I think that's a good thing so it's just a sign of how passionate people are mm-hmm. um so yeah thank you very much for the question um right the next email is from nicole and it goes thusly hi i'm nicole i'm from brazil by the way oh just to let you know <laughs> you guys know you have international listeners and please excuse my grammar errors please don't apologize for your grammar errors it's fine <laughs> um So, this is a very recurrent argument I have with my dad, that Kylo Ren is not part of your common villain trope. He is a very complex, nuanced character, which makes me like him a lot, as we are not used to these in the Star Wars movie universe, and also makes me so very, very interested in how Redemption Arc could work out for him. But my dad doesn't see him like that. He sees him as this whiny dude who lost to the rookie and killed Han Solo. I think that's the way most fanboys feel about him. The internet will show just that. I don't know if it's because they keep comparing him to Vader, a character that even though he was too, um, he was more complex than he appeared, was still this very cold figure that didn't let his thoughts or emotions be known ever. He even spoke in a mo- monotonous voice. Or if it's because they are so used to things being very far-ended opposites, like the Jedi and Sith, the Empire and the Alliance, the light and the dark and all that. That said, I guess my question is, if a redemption arc were to happen for Kylo Ren, how do you think the Star Wars fandom, including the crazed fans and the average watcher, like my dad, would react? Would they be accepting or would they call BS on it? <laughs> I almost wish I could ask Adam, what are the challenges of playing such a three-dimensional character in a very dualistic universe? A girl can dream, I guess. Thanks for answering, if you do, and keep up the good work. Thank you so <laughs> much for the question, Nicole. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I really like all the thought you put into it. And it's really interesting to hear about your experience with your dad um what did you think about nicole's question kirsty yeah i mean as people who are part of the star wars fandom online this is definitely a view that we've come across right Mm. Um, and it's obviously completely within people's rights to perceive kyla however they want yes Um, and we do just have the first part of the story so this idea of comparing him to vader i think that's absolutely what people are doing and Mm -hmm. i think that's sort of the point because kylo does that himself 
Yes. And constantly finds himself lacking. Mm. So it makes sense for the audience to do that too, right? Yeah. Like Vader is the shadow looming large over Star Wars. And J.J. Abrams talked about this in his Blu-ray commentary. So they went kind of meta with the new character yeah, um, to kind of show how they would address that and how how different Kylo is as a character, really, even though he tries to be Vader. Yeah. Um, so I don't really get where the whininess comes from. I think he's entitled. That's part of his character, that he feels entitled to this legacy because of his birthright. But... I don't remember him whining about anything. <laughs> I think when people call him whiny, they're talking about how emotional he is. Oh, okay. I, I think that's what they're going for. It's like, um, help me, grandfather. Like, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I have the strength, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I guess. interpret that as whining. Yeah, people complain about Hamlet being whiny. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I suppose it's that same kind of thing. That yeah. you have anti-heroes and anti-villains who deliberate over decisions and kind of hate themselves, but... I, that's a trope that's not going to go away because it's been hugely popular for centuries. Yeah. Even longer than that. So um, I would say that if the story's executed well, most people will love it, whether he's redeemed or not. Mm. You know, like it, it all comes down to the quality of the storytelling, really. You know, yeah. most people, unless they really built up this personal grudge against the character, and some people do this for all sorts of reasons based on who they remind them of in their personal lives and all sorts. Mm. Um, I think if it's executed well and really ties everything together and makes sense for the character and the rest of the story, then people will be on board. Yeah. So. No, definitely. I um, I I think I find that a lot of people they don't recognise how self-aware the film is being with Kylo. They think or behave as if they think that the filmmakers just made some kind of mistake, like messed up by failing to create like a badass villain, when they kind of miss the point that. The point is that he's not a badass. The point is that he's constantly failing to be like Vader and he can't live up to that standard that he set himself and that's why he's so angry and distressed. And yeah, I find that one of the more interesting elements of the reaction to the film because a lot of people say they want some new things, they want stars to be different, but at the same time they don't like the diff- this different conceptualization of a villain. Mm. That They don't like that different take on like evil like which is much more humanizing than the take on evil that we got with vader in a new hope which is very clear-cut and one-dimensional as nicole says in her email um as for like how accepting people will be like of a redemption arc i i really think it is all going to depend on the execution and episode eight is going to be really pivotal for that because right now lots of people hate kylo because he murdered han solo and people love han solo so they're going to have to do great things (laughs) with that character in order to give people some sympathy and to make people root for him and like care about him coming back to the light because right now i in terms of the general audience i'm not sure how many people do because, like you say, people tend to perceive him negatively, like both because he do- did a horrible thing in killing his father, and also because, like, they consider him weak. They don't think he's a good enough villain because he doesn't seem capable of doing the kind of things that Vader was, like, in terms of badassery. Um, so, yeah, it will all depend on what Ryan Johnson does for episode eight. But I'm confident that if they do go to, down that road of redemption, they'll do it well in a way that people will like and appreciate. Yeah, 
it's very interesting that people say like oh it, the filmmakers failed or made a kind of mistake because he lost or whatever because it would have been much easier for them to create this one-dimensional badass villain yeah you know that would that wouldn't have taken the caliber of acting that adam driver has they could have really cast anyone under the mask and yeah they wouldn't probably wouldn't have even taken the mask off. I know people have criticized that element of it as well. That oh, yeah. he takes off the mask and then you're not scared of him anymore. Well, guess what? That's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um yeah. So I I think people had this expectation again, kind of similar to how we were talking earlier with Finn, the marketing really builds up this idea that he's the new Vader, right? Mm. You only you only see him in costume and he's got his scary red lightsaber and chases him into the forest and everything and you don't get that emotional depth that you do in the film. Mm. So people are like, wait, what happened? Where did it all go wrong? It was obviously intentional. And the comments from the director and writer and and Adam Driver have solidified that. But again, the general audience probably aren't paying, to the, paying attention to those kind of things. Yeah. So they're probably just like, well, I hope, he's, hope he wins in eight at least, you know. Mm. But most people also like to be surprised by stories. So if it's not what they expected, by the end as, as long as it's told well like it will be exciting you know so yes so i wouldn't worry about it too much like i know it's hard because you get really attached to a character and then you get upset whenever people say things that contradict how you perceive him mm. but th- there's going to be more to this character's journey like everything that we've heard um officially and otherwise kind of point to that mm. so yeah, I would. I would just look forward to seeing your dad's reaction. <laughs> yes, like I will just say in Ryan Johnson, we trust. Yeah, I and trust send, Ryan to do a good job. Send us another message after eight, telling us what you and your dad think about it. <laughs> yes, definitely, we'd love to hear that. <laughs> um, right then, finally, we have our last email from Mary, and it is as follows: Hey, Rachel and Kirsty, this is probably inconsequential, and I'm not sure if it's been mentioned yet. But Rain and Ren share the same line in The Force Awakens. Right after Mars and Finn have their exchange about the First Order, Ray says to Finn, we're not done yet. The same line is spoken by Ren to Ray in the forest before she calls him a monster. Like I said, it could mean nothing, but of all the things Ren could have said in that moment before their ensuing duel, why did it have to be we're not done yet? What do you both think? By the way, Scavenger's Horde is insightful, wonderful, funny, and every time I listen, I find myself falling in love with this fandom more and more. Both of you are so well-spoken and have a captivating way of engaging your audience. Please, for the love of 2017, never stop talking. May the force be with you, Mary. That's so nice. It is. All of these compliments are going to go to my head. Yeah, I feel so loved. (laughs) Thank you. That is really, really nice, and... Yeah, it makes it feel so worthwhile to do this podcast. So thank you. You're you're awesome. We love our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really appreciate these great questions that you send in. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really good observation. Um, I think it's something I've commented on before on my Tumblr blog, but that was ages ago. Um, do you have any thoughts on this in particular, Kirsty? Yeah, I it probably was intentional because I think Star Wars actually generally does a really good job of mirroring with dialogue. Mm. So a lot of people have pointed out Kylo saying, don't be afraid. That's something that Han Solo and Padme also say at critical moments for characters. And um, didn't Anakin say it too, Padme? Oh, did he? I think so. It's when they're about to go into the arena. Oh, I thought it was Padme. I know the, I know the moment, right? It's in, on Geonosis, but um, I, for some reason I had it in my head that Padme said it. Yeah, she says, I'm not afraid, right? Um, I'm, like, I'm not afraid like to die. Or, see... I don't yeah. know. 
we need to watch watched that film in a while. Oh, I, I'm really not a big fan of that film. So. <laughs> it's not my fave. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I'll just watch a YouTube clip. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so I think I think these mirroring elements in the writing are intentional. Um, I think it conveys un- unfinished business, right? Yeah. So Ray pleading with Finn, like, we're not done yet. There's still something really important we have to do here. And Kylo obviously sees unfinished business there in the forest with Ray. Like, he wants to take her to Snoke or teach her or whatever, whatever's yeah. going on. It's not, it's not super clear. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What yeah. do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I find it a really interesting parallel. So if you think when Ray says it to Finn... Like Finn is basically her like main like human relationship at that point, which is really sad because she's only known him for like two hours or something, but she's already very attached to him, and I think she's very much afraid of letting him go because she's like, "Oh my God, you're my first ever friend, basically, please, please, please don't go, don't leave me alone. She's frightened of being abandoned, so that's why she like essentially asks him to stay. And I think in Kylo, you almost get like a dark mirror of that moment because like, again, he feels very isolated on Starkiller base. It's not the kind of place where he's having like besties over like for like pizza and video game nights. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, so I think he doesn't want to let Ray go in much the same way that Ray doesn't want to let Finn go. Obviously it's not, healthy or positive relationship by any means at that point in the film but it absolutely is something that conveys that they're both like insecure and they both want this other person in their life um but yeah obviously context is very different both times but i think the parallel is deliberate yeah definitely Mm. I just wish we could ask the writers exactly what they meant by all of these little details. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if it was like, oh no, that's just a complete coincidence, sorry guys. Well, yeah, the, and there must be elements of that, right? Like yeah, you were saying sure. earlier, um, fans look into absolutely everything. And yeah. uh, not all of it will be intentional on the part of the writers. Or Things can be subconscious as well, right? That they yeah. can go, oh yeah, I didn't even realise that, that, but that's absolutely something that, you know, writing isn't just about making intentional decisions all the time yeah a lot of it is creative and impromptu and innovative so yeah no exactly flying by the seat of their pants sometimes (laughs) 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 right um have we said all we want to say to that one i think so okay cool well then let's wrap it up here um, if you have any questions for next time please email us at scavengershorde at gmail.com and I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. How about you, Kirsty? I'm on Tumblr at Bastila Bay and Twitter at Scavengers Horde. If you want to follow me and say hello and send us messages, more lovely messages about how much they enjoy the show. Yay! <laughs> or you don't, you know. Fine with the negative feedback as well. <laughs> We've had pretty. Uniformly positive feedback so far. Yeah, no, which has have. been awesome. Yeah, so I, I wonder if anyone's listened and hasn't liked it, but they haven't <laughs> sent us anything. But I'd be interested to know if they didn't. Yeah, no, we're always open to like suggestions for things you'd like to see change or anything you think we could improve. Yeah, um, we're still both pretty new to all of this, so <laughs> yes, it's far from perfect, but no, definitely. But it's always a work in progress. I think anything is. Um, right. 
yeah so we hope you tune in next time and speak then bye bye